Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Any honest parent will tell you, parenting is a lot like whipping up a crazy salad on steroids. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, some highs, some lows, some sleepless nights, brimming laundry baskets, empty fridges, milestones met, disappointments survived, screaming fights, gut-busting laughter, and a dollop of Elmer's glue and glitter. Or, if you have a teen boy, a side of dirty sneakers. I'm joined today by freelance writer Melissa Fenton, who mines both the magic and mundane of parenting for the award-winning parenting website Grown and Flown and her personal blog, Four Boys Mother. When I came across Melissa's Facebook page, I fell down a rabbit hole, cackling and nodding in equal parts. She nails parenting. And after I cyber-stalked her across the internet, as one does, I learned that she is also a staff writer for the AARP, where she brings her sharp wit and fun, voicey writing to cover midlife and aging. Today, we'll talk surviving teens in midlife and learn how Melissa, with her day job as a college librarian, built her successful writing side hustle. Welcome, Melissa. Thanks for having me, and that was such a great intro. Yay! Well, you, you know, you're a wordsmith, so there was a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, I don't, oh, that was really, really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm very impressed. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted that you're here, and I, let's just dive right in. You have four boys, as the name of your blog says, but you also have a career as a college librarian. When and how did you first get into blogging? I first got into blogging just simply uh, writing on Facebook, you know, the, the ins and outs of raising four boys. The content pretty much wrote itself, and I would just kind of tell, you know, anecdotal stories about what my life was like. Um, one piece I wrote seemed to go what they called, you know, quote-unquote viral. Um, what was and that? I was approached by, it, was, it was probably seven or eight years ago. It was How to Give Your Kids a 1970 Summer. Ooh. Um, and it was all about the pressures of having this perfect summer and why can't we just be moms like our, our 70s moms and let our kids, you know, run around till the streetlights come on. And um, it seemed to hit a nerve. And I was approached by um, some parenting websites, you know, to send us some of your writing. And I, I kind of just got started that way and sent them pieces little by little. And never in my wildest dreams did I think someone would pay me to write. Um you know, my writing has evolved from writing about little kids to now writing about issues at midlife and empty nesting and adolescence. So it's um, it's been a really fun, fun little journey. Nothing uh, I ever expected. Yeah, that's that's it's so fun to like follow sort of the twists and turns and see where life takes us because it's taken you in some interesting places. Your Facebook following is huge. Uh, I and I can see why because I, I said I fell down that Facebook rabbit hole. But you have ninety thousand people following you on Facebook. You know, this is not like Kardashian level social media, but it's pretty amazing <laughs> about a mom who is you know blogging about her kids. How? What made you sort of stand out in this crowded field, and and how did you grow your audience? Was it deliberate? Was it just sort of organic and natural? Walk us through it. I think it was a little bit of both. I think when I was writing and I was on staff at a website called Scary Mommy for many years, which was is like the one of the leading parenting, I, guess, I don't know if you would really call it a blog, leading parenting websites. And at that time, everyone was still writing about that sweet spot of childhood. Um, you know, kids ages between 5 and 10, 11. And my kids were older at that time. And I, you know, I was kind of dabbling in that writing about you know, adolescence and is, is anybody having a difficult time raising teens like I am? And how come nobody told me it would be this hard? 
And people were still writing about, oh, my two-year-old won't take a nap. So there was this kind of empty space in the Internet and need for, for mothers writing about adolescence or writing about, the, you know, when our kids are leaving for college. And I just happened to fall into that. Um, at the same time, Grown and Flown was a website that was starting just with, you know, with the goal of reaching that exact audience. Um, they reached out to me cause I had written some pieces about, about teenage years on website, like, um, your team for parents I had written for, and they reached out to me and said, listen, we're, you know, we're starting this website and we want voices of parents of teens and parents of kids, the college age kids. So, um, just kind of fell into that. Um, I think I was really honest about how hard raising teens are. It seems when, when we have little kids, you know, we talk about how difficult it is. And then we all have teenagers and everybody stops talking about how difficult it is. Um, so I think just being really honest about the difficulties of it and, and what it looks like raising a modern teenager with social media and all of that mess. Um, it just kind of helped me gain an audience pretty, pretty quickly. You, you said, how come nobody told me that this was so hard? And I feel like that should be like on a bumper sticker because <laughs> that really feels like so much of parenting. And, and, and you're right. When, you, when your kids are young, everyone's very, very vocal. Like, how do I get them to sleep through the night? And what's your you know potty training tricks? And, and it's like little people problems. Uh, but when you're navigating teenagers, it's really hard. And I, I have a daughter who's now 20. And we are mostly on the other side of those really difficult teenagers girl years. And I remember another mom in town who had a daughter Grace's age. And so she had two older kids as well. And she told me at one point how mean and like deeply unkind her teen daughter was being to her. It was in high school. And I can remember being like a little bit aghast, being like, well, that wouldn't happen to me, you know? And it's like, oh, really? (laughs) Just you wait. There's going to be right. weeping and screaming and rending of garments, and it's going to be by you, not your daughter. I was like, literally, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done was to just, you know, be the kind of mom and person I wanted to be, uh, you know, and, and, and parent a teen and navigate um, that dynamic. It was really, it was really challenging. And I, I really feel like grown and flown has stepped into that breach and offers content for people who are struggling with that. What are some of the pieces that you've written for them that have really resonated with an audience? Um, there was a piece I did, uh, might've been one or two, maybe two years ago. And it was, um, you know, parents, we're killing our teenagers and we're to blame and killing them as in there's so much pressure on these kids. College admissions have just like jump the shark. It's an, it's insane what we expect these children, and they are children. I mean, these we it's insane what we it's insane what we expect these children to accomplish through high school. You know, we, we could never dollars. we could never do uh, it. We could we, we could oh, never we could never do it. I would not get into the local community college. I mean, I would. <laughs> it's gotten hard. Yeah, and and we're seeing a, a, a huge spike in suicides. We're seeing a huge spike in mental illness complaints in high school we're seeing um mental illness facilities on college campuses that simply can't keep up because we have pressured these kids into you know this 8.5 gpa i mean that how does that even exist because that never existed when we were in high school but it does now and that piece seemed to just hit a nerve with we've got to slow down this and it takes it takes parents it takes guidance counselors it takes educators 
It takes a revamping in, in higher ed admissions, which I think the pandemic is going to really have um, almost a good effect on that because we've had to slow down these high schoolers and college admissions is going to have to reflect that. Um, you know, that we all have to work to kind of tackle this this crisis we have with adolescent mental health right now. So that, that, that piece did phenomenally well. Um, as well as pieces about just how difficult it is raising a teen and how, like I said, nobody prepared me for this. Um, I didn't know that, you know, every day the child walking down the stairs was going to be somebody I wouldn't recognize. I mean, it's, you know, it's kind of a joke. You never know who you're going to get in the morning with a teenager. Um, yes. Or, or at one in the morning. Or at one in the morning. <laughs> or, yeah. Um, when they're coming home know, from and, parties. And, right. And navigating social media with them as well. I mean, I limited my children's, you know, access for a long time, but then they became, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And we can't limit that. They're almost, you know, they have to have the responsibility and and how to navigate that. So all, all these, you know, kind of tough issues seem to resonate with the grown and flown audience. And then of course there's some funny, you know, kind of like the reality of a teen boy. (laughs) pieces That, that also do do pretty good as well. The refrigerator that empties itself and, and the, the that empties itself. The missing um, boxes of tissues and good lotion. We'll leave that for your imagination. <laughs> um, <laughs> I did actually. I did actually write a piece on how to you know talk to your teen son about that. I um, love that. So, I'm looking that one up. It's. You know, it yeah, sounds like uh, you're so honest and open with your kids, but you ju- you did sort of indicate that you had shifted from writing about them when they were younger to kind of not sharing as much. So how do you how do you navigate that as somebody who really did share I, stuff about your kids when they were young? How, what are your what are your uh, guardrails? What are your boundaries? I did. You know, when they got to the teen years, I you know I didn't use names anymore. I didn't use photographs anymore. Um, and I tried to generalize the pieces as much as possible. Like in general, this is what I'm experiencing with my teen sons. Um, just, just to make it more general and then just to tackle just basic issues we're all facing. Um, and try to do it in a way where I didn't have to use too many personal stories, but I could still get the point across. And, and a lot of that too comes from, my followers on my page, I mean, they provide a lot of content as well. You know, this is what I'm going through. Can you write about this? Um, so you, that, really, that you really have um, a community. I've noticed that. Like, there's people, there's so, a lot of engagement on your, your profile. There's a lot of back and forth. Uh, there's a lot of great, like, funny, hilarious memes. You've got such a fabulous content mix. You know, I want to ask you, I came across this phrase just this past week called digital campfires. And I was like, what's that? Like, you know, it, like, it, it grabbed my, like, my eye because I thought it was interesting. And when I read about it, it's this idea of building and kind of stoking communities online. Do you, did you anticipate this? Did you anticipate your Facebook page becoming this 90,000-person community? Um, you know, I, 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 never, I never did. I mean, and, and, and they are a great community. And I tell you what, I get so many personal messages, too, and they all seem to say some, a similar kind of sentiment, and that is, you know, thank you for saying what I'm afraid to say. Thank you for being a voice of reason. Thank you for telling it like it is. Thank you for being honest, especially when I talking I talk about teen mental health issues because there is still a stigma 
and I can't believe we still have this in this country, there's still mental health shame. And especially among parents of teenagers, because you may see your neighbor down the street and, you know, their daughter's a valedictorian and the captain of the cheer squad and, you know, just got into three IVs and just, you know, excelling. And you may have a teenager who's just struggling mentally with adolescence, which is very normal. We, we all did. Um, but we're almost afraid to share that still. And social um, so media I, makes it so much harder. I mean, it makes it harder for the kids, but for the parents, too, because we all know that social media is just one gigantic highlight reel, yet we oh. we fall victim to it. I mean, I find myself having to put my phone down sometimes and just say, like, get off of Instagram because it's making you feel bad about yeah. yourself. And I'm 51. I can't imagine yeah. what it's like if you're a 14 or 15, 16-year-old kid. It's really, really hard. Oh. I know that is so true, and they do see that and feel that. I, I, I'm sure. Um, I don't think the the male adolescents feel it as much as the females. Just, I think my boys seem to be able to, you know, look at things like that on social media and, and shake it off more than I would think the pressures of women feel, and especially body image and you know, in adolescence. Um, and like you said, I'm I'm of a certain age, quote, and, and it annoys <laughs> me sometimes that I've got to turn it off. And I I feel like, oh, my God, how is that person achieving that? And I can't even do that. Right. Like getting my laundry done is the achievement. Yeah. Right. And we feel the same way about our teenagers. How, you know, how that family down the street, their teenager is perfect and mine is not. But I tell you what, the messages I get are all are we're all going through the same type of teen angst and and, you know, they're, they're very supportive of me for telling it like it is. So, you know, I'm glad I can help it, people out. It makes people feel less alone. Yeah, it makes people feel yeah. less alone to, to, to hear that w- what other people are struggling with or to, to recognize that. I mean, life is thoroughly imperfect. And um, having this sort of social media front is it doesn't do anyone any good. So I'm curious. So you made the leap from writing about, you know, your kids on your personal blog, although you still do it a little bit. You you, you t- talk about teen content on your blog and at Grown and Flown. But now you're writing also for the AARP. And you mentioned a minute ago that you're of a certain age, but I know you are my first guest on the show who's not yet 50. Can you tell uh, our listeners how old you are? So I'm 48. And I kind of fell into writing for the AARP. They launched a new publication called The Girlfriend a couple years ago. And they were trying to reach a specific demo of women kind of between 40 and 55-ish. Yes. And again, they were filling a void that wasn't out there. There was, you know, there's great content for 20s and 30-year-olds. You know, they have salon and different, you know, different um, websites that cater to them. But there wasn't anything really out there for that demographic that was intelligently written, but still, you know, had some pop culture stuff, tackled health issues that we go through at middle age, but did it, did it for a a quote unquote mature audience. Um, And I think they really found a great little spot in the internet because we, I mean, I love to read content written by people in middle age, um, involving anything, involving fashion one day and health one day and relationships one day and what marriage looks like after a couple decades and what empty nesting is going to look like. So it just kind of fell into writing, writing for them. And that's been um, a nice little outlet for me as my kids age. And I like, and I want to, you know, write more about just 
issues at midlife instead of instead of just my kids all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And so what are some of the topics that have really resonated with your readers? I'm curious because you cover lots of different things. Like what are, what are people in this this demo really focused on? What's getting the clicks? Um uh, getting the clicks that the girlfriend is typically relationship pieces, um, friendship pieces, anything involving sex. Um, we're still having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, um, don't tell your kids. <laughs> don't tell the kids. Um, you know, I don't know how this notion that middle age, your sex life just dies. I don't know where that came from because the sex pieces that we write are always get the biggest clicks. Um, but definitely relationships and, you know, what middle age is supposed to look like. I mean, which definitely... Being 50 is not what 50 was when our, when our moms were 50. Um, I feel, you know, I'm 48, but I have days where I'm like, oh, I'm really 24 or 25. Um, so I feel like I can still do those things and think those things. And um, so pieces about, you know, what, what middle age is, is supposed to look like, right. what's it look like for you. Melissa, when you say like middle age doesn't look like what it looked like for our moms, though, but I'm I'm like sitting here literally feeling guilty because I have no idea what midlife looked like for my mom because I was too busy being a teenager to ask her, you know, so maybe she did have, you know, maybe she really did feel like super vibrant and was having like lots of sex and and was just, I don't know, because I was too busy being a self-centered teen to figure out what it looked like. I don't yeah. know. I'm hoping that my daughter at some point isn't like, oh, my God, you know, my mom wasn't doing anything. But I mean, she'll have documented evidence that I was trying new things because I'll have these podcast tapes. But um, yes. so what What do you uh, when you say that sex and stuff, what are some of the like? what do we need to know? What, what can have, what have you learned that, that you, you should be sharing with our audience oh and writing God. your pieces? Because well, I'm I sure you've got so much good tape. information. <laughs> they encouraged me to do a piece on, you know, something is awkward is you know buying marital marital aids online i can't even say it it makes me (laughs) (laughs) marital aid what is that a euphemism for melissa do tell i think you need to be more descriptive we had to use that in in the piece so you know 50 somethings maybe a little feel a little weird about going to an adult toy store and they want to shop online our (laughs) age shops online a lot so pieces like that how to buy that um you know, how to buy those things online. Um, sexual health is a huge topic for our audience. I did a piece on pelvic floor therapy. Um, that is super hot. Actually, my, my first um, yeah. podcast guest was a doctor, and we talked about menopause. She's an OBGYN, and we cover menopause. And when the show ended, she said, you know what you need to do next is pelvic floor pelvic floor health, because that people do not talk about that. And that is people everything not, from... Yeah you know, urinary continence to more pleasurable sex to, I mean, I don't know, other things. You're the expert now, <laughs> Melissa, you tell yeah, me. That, that was that was a good piece. And again, it, it's, people, it's women thinking that urinary incontinence is normal. I've had several kids. I'm 50. That's just the way it is. And that is not the way it is. That exists the same as if you threw your knee out, you would get PT for your knee. If you have pelvic floor issues from having children and age, there's therapy for that, and you don't have to suffer. So, so that was a great piece. Another piece that did really well was um, perimenopausal depression. Sometimes women think, you know, confuse it with a mid, you know, midlife crisis or midlife malaise or just have the blues, but it's actually um, women who suffered from any form of postpartum depression during their childbearing years are much more likely to have perimenopa- perimenopausal depression. Wow, and that's something that's something that we just think. Oh, I'm going. You know, I'm I'm headed towards the change of life, and 
you know, I'm a little moody, I'm a little sad, I'm a little blue. There's actually physical, you know, physiological reasons for that. And, you know, you can talk to your doctor about that, especially if you have had depression and especially if you've had postpartum depression. That change of life and right before the change of life can bring up, bring a bout of depression you may not be expecting. And it's very treatable. This so stuff that was, is that so was fascinating. And by the way, like I have excellent doctors and nobody's ever asked me that question. They've never, I mean, I had to bring up to my doctor. I'm like, I think I'm in menopause. <laughs> like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, she's great, but it just wasn't, you know, you, you have to kind of own your own healthcare a bit. You know, the health uh, industry very, has changed oh, and even yeah. great doctors are really crunched for time. They don't have a lot of you know, it's kind of you're in, you're out. So you really have to own that stuff. And if you don't even know that you should be asking about these things. So it's so important that people are writing about it. They're talking about it. They're covering it. Um, yeah, I, that piece got a lot of feedback, a lot of um, emails sent to me like, thank you. I was depressed and I just thought this was part of it. And now I'm going to seek treatment. And I just thought I had to be miserable for those few years up and up and through menopause. But now I'm going to get treatment. I didn't, you know, it's treatable. We don't have to suffer with that. You're making it making a difference. So uh, I'm curious. Yeah. So you, you, your your day job. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that, and then I want to ask you about how, like, technically, how you got into the writing stuff. So tell us about your your your. Uh, so librarian I um, teach at a program. Um, it's through our actually it's through our public library system now. We teach, and I'm in Florida, so we have a lot of customers, so to speak. We teach senior citizens technology in the library. Um. I've been a librarian for many, many years. I kind of fell into teaching the senior citizens technology. It's actually, actually um, love it. I love them. I love that they have no filter. I love teaching an 85 year old how to use Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love, I love their stories, their life stories. Um, I, they really make aging look not so terrible and scary. Um, you know, they're still out there. They still want to learn. They want to learn the Facebook and, they want to get on Instagram, and um, so we have a program at our public library for senior citizens for learning those learning those social media platforms, and that's what I do now. Very cool. And then you shared a little bit at the top of the show about how you got into blogging and freelance writing, but I'm curious about the nitty-gritty. So for anyone who's listening, who's thought, like, I have something to say, and I, I want to be a writer, you know, how does it actually work? You got discovered, I think, from one of your blog posts that went viral, but do you need to pitch your editor's stories? Do they come to you with stories? What are the, uh, you know, how does it actually all come about? Um, I'm still feel like I'm learning how it actually all comes about. And, you know, I've been doing it for many years. Um, you know, some, another writer once told me, keep creating good content and it will be found. And so, you know, I created content and, you know, people reached out to me. And like I said, can you come join our staff? We're looking for someone to write about this type of stuff. And I said, yeah. And then that kind of led to other websites reaching out to me, um, the pitch, the pitching is pretty much mutual. If I have a great idea, I will pitch it to them and they will say, yeah, that sounds great. Um, or if they're looking for something specific, like, okay, we want a piece on adolescent boys, something, they'll reach out to me. Um, because I, you own I that. Started, you own that market. We just, we're waiting for a blogger with five sons to come along. But until then, you own, you own the teen boy market. Right. Um, when I started, you know, I, I had no concept of being paid to write. I didn't know what to charge, what that looked like. So how did you figure um, it out? For, well, for many months, I sent I stuff 
um, content to websites for free or syndicated stuff and was not compensated. Um, I had to have somebody, another writer, actually tell me, you know, words have worth. And you're creating a product in the same way somebody would sell something they made. Your product is your writing, and that has a value to it. And because that just seemed like an odd concept to me. Um, So I had to have another female writer saying, you know, you have worth. This has value. You sell your writing. And that was like, oh, this is what people do. Um, Yes, that's a good friend. That was a good piece of career advice. very good piece of career advice because you know I was new I, I didn't know I was thought I was just getting my 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 um you know a lot of websites go well we'll send us your stuff and we'll give you exposure which is fine at the beginning but once you have kind of a following and you know that uh, and you a portfolio exactly that, yeah that Ta- readers want it became okay well I'm you can't just have this this is how much this costs um and just you know being brave enough to put that out there and then, you know, as they see the pieces do well, you know, I make pretty decent money now for the pieces I write. But it was, a, you know, it was a long kind of a sloth. Um, again, writing, is, I guess I would say it was, is my side hustle. And, you know, some days it does feel very much like a job, um, you know, and that kind of takes the joy out of it a little bit. But when I do feel like I have something to say and share, um, the words come out pretty easily. And then to be compensated for that is just really a bonus. Yeah, it's like the cherry, cherry on the top of the Sunday. Uh, so yeah. what, what would you be your top, like, two to three tips? I mean, do you have them to if, if somebody was looking to get into this business? What would you, like, where would you say this is where you should begin and this is what you need to do, immediately do next? I guess for freelance writing, you've really got to be very active on social media platforms. I'm, I'm, I'm not as active as I probably sh- should be. You have 90,000 people following your every move know, on Facebook. But, you know, some writers That's really active. post <laughs> all day, every day. Some people post all day, every day. I don't really have that time. But to you know, get your content out there, you'd probably have to share pieces several times a day. I would have the same name for all of my platforms, and I would probably change it to my my name instead of being known as Four Boys Mother. I would probably keep my name attached to it, like MelissaFenton.com, if I could do it all over again. Melissa, it's not it's not too your- late. It's not too late. You should yeah. do that. You should, um, you should think about doing that. That's my day job is personal branding. You, you, it's, <laughs> it's not too late to make this move. We'll talk later. We'll talk off air. <laughs> okay. But see, something like that seems very odd to me, like branding myself. But that's what we do these days. So I would say, you know, not to be shy about branding yourself. Keep creating content. Keep pitching people, too. Um, I would join. There's a lot of freelance writing groups on Facebook, and all the women are very supportive and you know, if they if they see a job opening coming up or, hey, this website is looking for writers to write about X, Y, Z. Um, so those groups are out there. I would join I would join those groups and just just keep creating just keep creating content and it'll it'll be found. It'll be found. If it's good enough. It'll be found. And what about a book? Do you see a book in your future or is that one of those annoying questions? Like, can I just be like happy with what I'm doing? But have you ever because <laughs> sometimes I, I feel like our culture is like it. what else what's more tell me you know maybe so it's a two-part question do you want to write a book or do you feel like your plate is full and you're enjoying where you're at it depends on the day some days <laughs> I do I have ideas for a book in my head all the time um and some days I'm like yeah I don't know I I don't need to write a book to feel like I did anything special um 
if I did write one, I would probably, there's a genre out there. It's called like a foodoir. It's very popular. It's kind of, you know, part memoir, part kind of food, because obviously with four boys, I cook <laughs> yes. a lot. And so I would probably weave kind of stories on raising four boys, adolescent teens with how I fed these children and kept them alive. <laughs> Um, and food war, food wars are a very popular genre right now in nonfiction. Um, there's a lot of them out there. You know, stories, people, people kind of tell stories of their life interspersed with recipes, family recipes, and things like that. So if I did, maybe that. But like I said, I have days where I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm content. <laughs> what are some of the good food wars that we should know about if we want to get our feet wet? Uh, one of the food war, like the food wars that I've read? Yes. Yeah. I'm putting you on the spot, but do you have any uh, to recommend? Like, like David Lebowitz, Sweet Life in Paris. You know, he was a writer, moved to Paris, started writing about food in Paris and writing about his life. So he's, he's done a couple books like that. Sweet Life in Paris is one. Um, I'd have to. I read I Comfort, Comfort Me with Apples. Right <laughs> yeah, Comfort Me with Apples. I'm trying, I'm like, I'm drawing a, a blank on the, the author too, but it's, it's um, another. Uh, Berlin a good food war about growing up in, um, East Berlin, you know, it's just, it's, you know, when they, when they write their kind of life stories interspersed with how food. Nice. I love that. that that's probably, you know, yeah. I love it. So who are some of your favorite people to follow online for parenting and midlife uh, advice? Oh my goodness. Well, I have, all the writers at Grown and Flown are great. Um, and there's a, there's actually a Grown and Flown parents group. That's a great group to be a part of. Um, of course, the girlfriend. I love all the writers there as well. Follow their content. Um, Your Teen for Parents is a great website to follow with good content about adolescents. Um, you want like bloggers I follow, or yeah, just, you know, if there's anyone that came to mind, you've already shared a number of, of, of great ideas. I love Grown and Flown as well too. I have yet to buy the book, but I'm, I'm putting that on my list of things to to it do. Just came out. Yeah, it just came out in paperback. Um, I have a little little teeny chapter in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's a great resource you can go back to. Um, whether you can, you know, that's a book that you can start reading when your kids start high school, and you can, you know, refer to it as your kids are finishing college. It's you know, it spans those those years. Um, it's, yeah, it's a tricky time period. Great, it's a, it's a tricky time period where your kids are going to school. But I also think that there's an, uh, a separate set of sort of mourning that happens when they graduate from college because it's not just the like the, the nest is like truly empty if they're not coming back. So, and I think that can yeah. be surprising to people because they think, oh my gosh, like the high school graduation is like where they're going to start to feel the anxiety. But it's, you know, it, it comes again in waves as you. It does come. Oh, it's for sure. I had that this spring. My I had a son graduate college, and it, I did have that just sucker punch me like, well, he's not coming home ever again. And I, it that was a definitely a period. Well, and then of course it was right in the middle of the pandemic, so mentally we were all over the place anyway. But I did have that like, well, he's just really not coming home now, and he's taking that next step in his life, and um. It's, it's okay. I have to do a lot of self-talk of this is what it's supposed to look like. This is how it's supposed to be. I would be more worried if you move back home in my basement. Totally. And it's, it's that, parent- yeah. So this is how the, this, this, this phases of life, this is what it looks like. This is what it's supposed to happen. He's not coming home and that's a good thing. 
parenting is the only job where if you do it right, that it's just, right. you know, you, you fire yourself, sort of. <laughs> That's right. I love that call. Very, very true. Yep, yep. You know, although I have to say my poor mom, she still feels a lot of phone calls from us and we're all at her. <laughs> so I guess I know my mother too. <laughs> it never ends. It never ends. Melissa, this has been so much fun. You've shared a under, you know, a bunch of wonderful tips. I grilled you and put you on the spot, but is there any one uh other product or resource that we should let our listeners know about before we wrap up? Sure. I have a, another book I could recommend, and this is a book that I first read uh, when my first son went away to college, and it's called From Mom to Me Again, How I Survived My First Emptiness Year and Reinvented the Rest of My Life, and it's by Melissa Schultz. It's a great reference whether you've got um, your house is already empty or you're kind of in that transition period where you have kids at college and some at home, and it's it's a very good handbook on what it's going, what the second half of your life is going to look like when it's not managed by running a household of children and how it's okay for this new season of life for you to put, you know, be me again and to be not just mom, but to be, you know, just be you and not have to worry about children anymore. It's a great resource. I love Melissa's writing. She also has written for the girlfriend as well. So again, it's called From Mom to Me Again by Melissa Schultz. That sounds fabulous. I'm going to put that into the show notes. And how can our listeners keep following you and and following your your blog and learn more about you and your writing? Uh, Well, you can find me on my Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash fourboysmother. I have an Instagram with the same handle, fourboysmother. But mostly you'll find my writing um, at the AARP's The Girlfriend. And they also have a second publication coming out called The Ethel. I'll be having some writing in there. And as well, you can find my writing on the website, Grown and Flow. Terrific. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for being here. This has been terrific. Thanks for having me. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. Thanks for listening. Please help us grow by heading to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And visit us at acertainagepod.com for show notes and bonus content. Special thanks to Michael Mancini Productions, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.